I can feel it. I can feel, feel it. it. I can feel. I can feel you laughing at me on the from the other side, even though I you can't know, you, see you. you. You said that last week. Yeah, I know. I could. I could feel it. I could just flames on the flames side of my face. On the side of my face. Heaving <laughs> <laughs> breaths. You know, I'm not always making fun of you. Just most of the time, maybe. right? Just most. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, we're back with another episode of the Fusion Underground after Christmas. After Christmas. It, so, it has happened. Merry, Merry post Christmas to too. everybody out there in interweb land and to you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 Merry Christmas to everybody. Oh, I guess to you too there. Yeah. Buckaroo, <laughs> Buckaroo, Bonsai. This is season three, episode 10, the last episode not only of the year for us but also for season three. Oh my gosh did that happen already yeah so our season Jeez. three is done we're gonna start season four feels like we didn't talk about anything i know right <laughs> <laughs> rim shot <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna you know we're just gonna keep going this oh, yeah. is number thirty-eight out of, to- of total episodes. That's insanity. So we're 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 catching up there on uh, on the big old five zero. Well, we got to hit forty first. We got to hit forty don't, first. I don't, don't age me <laughs> prematurely, man. <laughs> That's coming soon enough too. Don't don't do that. Yeah. Well, we gotta we gotta figure out something to do here. We've got uh, you know twelve episodes before we hit the big five zero. We gotta we gotta do something fun for that. I think so too. I, I think we should actually queue up some video of some of our our old episodes and just make fun of us for an hour. It'd be easy to do. I mean, there's a lot to make fun of, but I mean, it's probably putting the, the video together would be the hardest part of the whole thing. See, we need a snurdly. Yeah, we need somebody somebody with a lot more capabilities yeah. than us to be able to do that. Yeah, and time and time. Yeah. Well, at least capabilities. <laughs> <laughs> eh, they can learn on the job yeah yeah we just we just need somebody willing and able okay yeah that's a call that's a shout out to everybody right. out there listening anybody willing and able yeah anybody or willing at least willing we'll start with that we'll start with that yeah yeah <laughs> if nothing else so anyway here at the fusion underground we try to make sense of the world by having principal discussions about such topics as entertainment current events politics and culture our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and my co-host joined with me, joined in the virtual studio, Jason Moret. How are you doing, hey, brother? I'm good. 
so are you ready Hopefully for by season four we'll have our intro candor down sorted <laughs> sorted out awkward <laughs> yeah i want you to do uh the opening one one of these days are you sure yeah i think it'd be funny oh it would be funny i guarantee <laughs> you that <laughs> well the next you know are you looking forward to 2020 being over um Yes and no. I feel like I have so much unfinished business for 2020. It feels like just a very short year, but one of the longest as well. It was the, it was the most bizarre year. I, I could, I, I can remember absolutely bizarre. Bizarre because a whole year has gone by and nothing really has happened. Well, no, we, we stopped everything from happening. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's insanity. Well, you know, for those keeping keeping score at home, Wonder Woman released this week. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Okay. That was that was how it was received by the world. So it was released a few days earlier. So it released here in the United States on Christmas Day mm-hmm. to theaters and um, and on HBO Max, but it released a few days prior around the world. And I think it was like a five-day total. It only made thirty-eight million worldwide. That mm-hmm. didn't include. That was before Christmas Day, so that doesn't include U.S. dollars. Right. Um, but you know, it it's opening to. I, they they haven't actually released any numbers yet because I think they're so terrified to show that this movie has completely bombed. Warner Brothers has already gone out. They've already come out and said. They're, they're green lighting and fast tracking Wonder Woman 3. Um, and, you know, most theaters are at half capacity. Sure. Because they have to allow, you know, room in between, you know, they, they're like every two seats. Well, there's two seats and then they skip two seats and then there's another and then there's two more seats. Because that's supposed to apparently keep you from getting sick. Yeah, that's the social distancing. Social now, distancing. I was always curious, what happens if you have a family of, I don't know, three? Right. You have you buy you buy tickets, and then you have to tell them when you get there so they can make arrangements for you. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Just just go in multiples of two. Just even okay. even it out. Yeah. 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 So dumb. Because it's so just dumb. dumb. Uh, but the the movie is getting terrible terrible reviews. It's tanking in terms of, and and I'm even I'm not even just referring to, uh, to movie critics. I'm referring to fans of superhero movies, people okay. that want this movie to be good, mm-hmm. and they're coming back and saying, "My God, that was a piece of garbage." Well, and I I haven't heard much about it, and honestly, I've only seen a couple previews. I was genuinely confused a couple times, but. Sometimes that's not terribly hard, especially with movie previews. I think they try to do that on purpose. But um, now, but I thought Wonder Woman's love interest, and I can't remember his name, died in the first movie. Um, And now I see him again in the second movie. Keeping in mind, we've had a Justice League movie in between where fast forward to the the future from, you know, Wonder Woman, the first timeline into the future. She's there. So I don't know where that I'm, I'm already confused. It's 1984. Who knows? Uh, but uh, man is evil. And, you know, if you, if you're born with a penis, you're evil. So what's, what's, what's not to love? What's not to like? Well, and honestly, there's been a big push in that, especially in the superhero movies thing recently. So why not Wonder Woman too? Yeah. 
absolutely garbage. It's absolutely garbage. And I, I just think it's hysterical. Speaking of DC comics, which makes the wonder woman comic, they, um, they're going through their third round of layoffs this year alone. Uh, they went, they went woke a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. They hired in all of these woke artists and woke writers and nobody bought their books. Yeah. Nobody wanted them. So, right. Amazing. Uh, so nobody bought all of this, bought the stuff and now everybody's getting laid off all the writers, all the artists, uh, everything's getting gutted. Um, rumor on the street is that, uh, DC comics will completely fold up and dry away, uh, um, fly away and, and, and be done. And Warner brothers will more than likely they'll just license out the characters for anybody else to make comics for anybody else to do whatever yeah. they want to with them at this point. Right. Yeah. Right. Stories, whatever. Um, because let's face it, you know, people are going to go see the wonder woman movie, right? People, mm -hmm. have, people are seeing it. People will go continue to see it. Sure. Well, they'll trickle out there. Um, but they're not going to leave the movie theater and rush out to buy any comics. No, there's, they're just not going to do that. No. Um, so nobody cares about the comics. Nobody does. Mm -mm. And, uh, so, I mean, in, in one hand, it's kind of sad, but in, in, in the other hand, um, you reap what you sow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so for me, you know, I, I loved Superman. Uh, that was that was my favorite superhero. So there's a soft spot in my heart for DC Comics. And I liked a lot of the Justice League um, comic books. And I guess that's reaching back to my childhood. But yeah, as far as the, uh, the social justice <laughs> uh, bandwagon that they jumped on, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of what you get. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest. You, you compare them to like Marvel right now. I mean, it's leaps and bounds difference. Yeah, but Marvel's not doing it, not not doing too bad in the in the woke category either. They're, yeah, they're, they're pretty coming. much right there. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, comics is just sort of a, a dumpster fire right now. But uh, you know, c'est la vie. But so that's not all we're going to talk about here on the show. Um, oh, good for for <laughs> for anybody listening. You know, our two listeners, uh, we're actually going to be talking about uh, masculinity today. Uh, so yeah. Hey, I better I go get some real quick. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I well, I started thinking about this as I as I was looking at, uh, you know, things like Wonder Woman, things that are going on in comics. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of of people that are, you know, they they rail against the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. You always hear that, you know, patriarchy is evil, um, toxic masculinity. We've heard. You've probably heard that term. I'm sure many people have heard that term of late over the last few years. Um, and so I want to kind of kick that around a little bit. Okay. Um, and I'm of the opinion that we don't need less masculinity. We actually need more. And I'm of the opinion that the masculinity that does exist when people talk about toxic masculinity, um, that they're not, that there are some people, there are many people that lump all masculinity into the toxic category and just say, well, mm -hmm. all masculinity is toxic. And right. so we need to just get rid of all of it. And, and I think, no, I'm of the opinion that we shouldn't get rid of it. We need to, we need to be able to understand what good masculinity is and we need more of that. So yep. what is good masculinity? We're going to talk about it today. 
Good, good. No, I think that's incredibly important, especially for our young boys who are growing up, you know, and you look at the opposite end of the spectrum. Nobody's talking about toxic femininity. I mean, if, if I were sure. to say something like that, I'd probably get shot. Right. Um, do I think that women need to be, you know, <laughs> mothers only stay in the kitchen, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not saying that. But there's a lot of femininity that is absolutely vital to our culture, just like there's masculinity that's vital to our culture as well. I, yeah. um, I think that's overwhelmingly. Shoot, I'm, I record right here in my office. This is my garage. This is my safe place, um, my comfort zone. You know, I, I don't have to be doing anything overwhelmingly productive. Sometimes I just want to come out on here and, you know, drive some nails into a board for an hour. I feel better, <laughs> you know, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually right. okay. Right. It really is. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to talk about some, some, uh, some positive masculinity and, and talk about what that is. But before we get into that, there, there is something that I wanted to share with you. Um, so I don't remember if I told you or not, but we're back on Twitter. So we are now unlocked. No, you didn't tell yeah, me yeah. this. This is exciting. Yeah. So we are we are officially unlocked. So of course I've been shit posting on Twitter, uh, which has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever find out why we got put in Twitter timeout to begin with? No, nope, never got an before? email. Never received nope. anything. They nope. just said, "Okay, you've been you waited long enough." Yeah, I apparently so. Okay, how so, long was it? Uh, almost two months. Hmm. Wow. They were serious. So, yeah. And I've been noticing that other people that I follow have been saying the same thing, just kind of casually like, oh, I'm out of Twitter jail. And, and so we're, we're out of Twitter jail. Um, but there, there's something that, that ha I heard about this about a week or so ago. Um, and I found it again. But now this time I found the entire list. So Michigan, University of Michigan, they took it upon themselves. They, What's worse, it's it's the Information and Technology Services Department at the University of Michigan. Okay. I don't know why, but the IT group at Big Blue, they decided to put together a Words Matter Task Force. Words Matter Task Force. Yes. Okay. And they, they have come up with a preliminary and advisory draft of, of words. They published it on December 8th, December 3rd, December 3rd. So it's almost been a month since they published it. That's what I mean. I've heard about it, but mm -hmm. I finally have a list of the words. Okay. So they published a list of words um, that we should not use along with alternative terms to use instead so are these considered like trigger words like we've talked about before yes. or is yes. this more politically correct? Both. Oh, okay. Both. So for example, so let's run through some of this. Um, a term you are not supposed to use, men or man. <laughs> what? Yeah. It, there, there's no context other than just, you're not supposed just to use don't men, do that. men or man. Again, this this kind of goes into what we're going to be talking about today, right? Men are being okay. attacked from all different angles. Masculinity, you're not allowed to be male. Mm -hmm. You're just allowed to be a person. And that's yep. actually what they want. The alternative term, alternative terms, people, 
person, or a wholly different word? Yeah. So you're not allowed to specify. So in order to, maybe this is the gender identification thing. You're not supposed to refer to anybody by their gender at all and simply identify them as a person. Right. They actually give an example here of man hours. You're not supposed to use the term man hours, but person hours is okay. Or maybe just call it work hours. Maybe that's what they mean by something entirely different or yeah, wholly different. different. Term. You're not allowed to use the terms blacklist or whitelist. Other what? terms that you could use are allowed and prohibited, include, exclude, allow list or deny list. So we are going to eliminate all identification, which could be construed as yeah. racially. Yeah. You know, there was a, you know, this, there was a book written about this. It's called 1984. Uh-huh. It would actually yeah. strike, they, they, you know, there was a, a whole group of people in 1984 that would strike words from the dictionary that you were not supposed to be able to use because once you strike those words from the dictionary and you take them out of the language, you actually control the way people think. This is what we're Correct. doing here. This is what we're yes. doing. Mm -hmm. um, black and white thinking, not okay. Black and yeah. white thinking. You should use terms like binary thinking or all or nothing thinking. Okay. Right. Yep. Um, the term brown bag, not acceptable. Instead, like sack lunch? Right. Instead, you should use a term like lunch and learn. A lot of companies will have like a brown bag um, they call them like a brown bag where it's basically like maybe a training. You yeah. have somebody come in, maybe from a different department that talks about what their department does. They come in during lunch, right? Because everybody's going to take a lunch anyway. So they call it a brown bag. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's it's the brown paper bag you used to put your lunch in to take mm -hmm. to either school or work. Right. Brown bag. But apparently that's racist because, you know, Hispanics are whatever. Crack what? the whip. Crack the whip. You're not allowed to use the term crack the whip. You're supposed to use <laughs> things like manage the effort closely. No. Yeah. No. Managing the effort closely is not cracking the whip. That is a specific term for a reason. Right, right. Good Lord. Uh, you're not supposed to use the terms crazy or insane. These are crazy and insane. <laughs> yeah. Instead, you're supposed to use words like outrageous or unthinkable, nonsensical, incomprehensible, ridiculous, egregious, or irrational. All of this like is this all of those two. Yeah. <laughs> but also use... crazy and insane. Go ahead. Right. You're not supposed to use crippled. Instead, you, things that you should use words like weakened or deteriorated. Um, when referring to a system... You should not refer to it as disabled. You should refer to it as deactivated or broken. I'm sorry. I saw somebody who was actually crippled mm -hmm. and I called them deteriorated. Uh -huh. I think that's worse. That's worse, right? That Isn't is that worse. worse. You're, you should not use the word, the term grandfathered. Like you were grandfathered in. Instead, it's legacy status or legacies in or exempted excused. I can tell you right now, if I referred to my daughter's grandfather as legacy father, <laughs> he would probably be pretty pissed. <laughs> yeah, right. 
you should not say were you should not say gypped like that i was gypped yeah right? you instead defrauded swindled cheated ripped off because gypped comes from gypsy oh for crying out loud right gypped comes from gypsy which is an ethnic group of people whatever dumb it's stupid i know um handicapped you should use restricted instead you should not use girl or gal or boy or guy instead you should use person no yeah um no. you should not use terms like hi guys you should use terms like hi everyone instead or folks for now yeah yeah um you cannot you should not use the term Long time no see. I don't understand why this is bad. Long time no yeah. see. Instead, you should say, it's been a while, or I haven't seen you in ages. That's what that's what that means. What? I don't understand what long term how is long term no see long time bad? no see. Long time no see. Long time no see. How how, how is that bad? It, maybe it's offensive to blind people. <laughs> There, there's someone attached to some group of people yeah. all attached to these banned yeah. phrases. So you're, you're not supposed to say low man on the totem pole. Instead, you should say things like last in the pecking order. Isn't that more like Wait, offensive you can't to chickens? Say, yes. Well, and not only that, now you're basically calling somebody a cock. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not, I mean, come on. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I broke I broke Lucy. I'm so oh. sorry. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> you didn't see that coming. Oh my I god, no, I did not. That was too that was amazing. Yeah. You should not use uh the term native. Instead, you should use built in or innate. Um off the reservation. That's bad. Outside the norms or rogue or break with the group or off on your own are better terms. Now, this is one that I do not understand. You're not supposed to use the word picnic. Picnic. Yeah. Now, okay, two things before you get into that. I find it interesting that before you even said this, you had to specify. Now, this one... I don't <laughs> understand, which implies there is a tacit implication that you actually understand and well, or agree with some of the others, no, no, no. which I, I think is absurd. I don't but, agree with it, but I could, I could, I can, we talked about this last week. We, yes, we did. I can, I can understand, understand where you're coming from. I don't have to agree with you. I don't yes. agree with it. Oh. I understand where they got like off the reservation or low man on the totem pole. They're trying not to, or native. Right. I get it. They're trying yes. to not yes. offend native Americans. Um, this just is ridiculous though. Okay. I, I understand where they get the terms like blacklist or whitelist. Yes. Right? I don't have to agree with it, but I can understand the leap. I they're understand. Making. I don't understand picnic. Picnic. Picnic, picnic instead you should use the alternative form of gathering but picnic has a very specific Pic it's a very specific yeah. function it's that's what, the red and white checkered blanket at the right. park yes. yes i i don't understand why picnic is uh is a is maybe a it's term. offensive to bears 
or or park rangers because yogi bear steals all the picnic <laughs> baskets i don't understand i don't know i don't understand <clears throat> this this actually kind of uh i find funny because we have reached a point in the timeline where the term preferred pronouns is not acceptable anymore what yeah according to the university of michigan Infor information and technology services instead you're just supposed to use the word pronouns so not preferred pronouns we we've already passed through that um, you're not supposed to use things like privileged account. You're supposed to use elevated account. Whoa, 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 mm -hmm. whoa, whoa. No, no, no. We can't keep going. We have to oh, back this my up. Apologies. Uh, no, that's okay. We can't, we, we can't use the term preferred pronouns. Correct. We have to simply use the term pronouns. pronouns. Now, so again, not agreeing but understanding and i'm trying to mm -hmm. find some understanding mm -hmm. it's my belief by the or the intent behind that is to remove right. the idea that any gender specificity is a choice apparently probably and so because if it was a choice you could be discriminated against for that i sure I'm, but if that's the case then you're saying a pronoun which again implies that as the uneducated or the ignorant bystander, mm -hmm. I'm supposed to somehow know, which means I'm going to have to fall back on nature, which tells me that's a guy, that's a girl. Yeah, well, you can't do that. Well, how am I supposed to pick a pronoun, whether it's know. preferred you're, or you're, not? Osmosis, I, you're supposed to know by osmosis, become a flower. No, I don't want to be a flower. I'm a <laughs> dude. <laughs> I'm a male. Yeah. I, I'm I, a boy. Here, here's another one. So privileged account. Those are things okay, like used in, in IT. You know, we have security accounts. Mm -hmm. You might have a privileged account, which means you have more privileges. It's yes. It's, it's just a term. It's just it's a, it your admin accounts. Yeah. Right. You're not supposed to use privileged account. You're supposed to use elevated account. I don't. I, I, Ooh, I, that's dangerous. I, I, don't, I don't understand any of this. Sanity check. Sanity check is bad. Instead, quick check. A quick Just check. A quick check. What uh, about a mental health check? Confidence check or coherence check. Those are all okay, but sanity check? No, no, no. <laughs> hey, somebody here, I need a coherence check. Yeah. What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> you need one too. Oh, God, yeah. it's contagious. <laughs> And last but not least on this list, you're not supposed to use the term sold down the river. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, betrayed or thrown under the bus. <laughs> you know what's great about this list is it's not alphabetized by term. Notice how men or man was right at the top of the list. That was the first thing because it's literally sure. the top of the list. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, this is just... This no, is just the stupidity. funny, the funny part. And this, I've had this argument about um, political correctness for a long, 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 long time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> no matter how far we quote unquote advance as a society mm -hmm. and what term we're going to come up with, mm -hmm. we will in a matter of time, sometimes short, sometimes longer deem that the term we also then substituted for is actually more offensive than the Correct. original one. Um, I mean, pick a thing. It, it's, I, I remember growing up, 
early when I was still young growing up, but um, retard was definitely bad. Right, right. And we've changed that to, I, I, I don't even remember. There was, an, there was like two, three terms. I think now we're on to like cognitively delayed or, and that's probably changing too. But this never ends. This is what I'm talking uh, about. This, this right. whole, once you jump on this as making that acceptable to change the English language, this does not stop. It's just, I mean, look at the preferred pronoun thing that just, I mean, that's very recent. Yeah. You're talking about in the broad scheme of our, of the English language, that's very recent. And now it's already, yeah. um, it's, it's already, already been changed. It's already been changed. Um, in, in other news, I think I texted you this and we never got a chance to talk about this last week. Uh, but we have talked about her before Sarah Fuller. Yes, you did text right? me. The, the kicker from, uh, what was it? Um, Virginia or something like that, right? I don't. Uh, remember I don't remember some random <clears throat> college. She kicked one field goal and it wasn't, or she kicked once and it wasn't even good. Um, she was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. There you go. Not for accomplishment. She didn't accomplish. Oh anything. no, no. She just had a vagina and wore a jersey. Right. So she's. I guess she got. In, I guess she got installed into the college football hall of fame for being a girl yes i wonder was there I mean, here's the thing is the first male football player inducted was he ever inducted into the fo college football hall of fame i'm, I'm well, curious that's impossible first oh. and foremost because there's no such thing as the first in order to have a football game well, you, you gotta, gotta have, have on a team, right? <laughs> yeah so that means you had to have 22 people to have a game okay um <laughs> My bad. Was were the first twenty two? No, yeah. probably not. Right? Okay. No. Well, okay. Didn't think so. All right. Well, moving along. So I I wonder if I self identify as a female if I can go out and um um play on like the uh, softball teams. Or yes, you can. The, uh, the ladies volleyball teams and just trounce the hell out of all of them and then get inducted into the hall yeah. of fame. You know there are there are you know, uh, organizations and different states and whatnot that are enacting laws to allow transgender w women, i.e. men, mm -hmm. to compete in women's sports. And uh, Billie Jean King and uh, Rapino, I forget her first name. She was on the, uh, the U.S. soccer team that won the World Cup several times. Uh, they are fighting for transgender women to participate in women's sports. So, um, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to say this, all of you woke folk out there, you reap what you sow. Yeah, right. Right. And, it's, and, and I'm not picking on anyone, but I'm uh, especially towards women. I'm telling you right now, I, there was actually a, um, who did this? I think it was South Park did a little, um, <laughs> had a little snippet of macho man, Randy Savage, who's all of a sudden self-identified as a female and was winning gold medals, basically hand over fist and literally beating the hell out of women in wrestling and, um, pretty much any sport out there. It was, um, it was really disturbing, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's going to well, happen. I, I think that's what's going to end up happening. There was a, a couple of years ago, there was a, a, a young guy uh, in college. Or was it in high school? I don't even remember now. I think it might have been in high school. 
um, he was not a very good sprinter. He ran track and field. He was not very, well, he was, he was decent, but he was no, he wasn't even in the top 20. Right. Um, in, in the event in against other men. And he claimed, he came out and said, I'm now a transgender woman and ran against the women and crushed them. Mm-hmm. Just crushed all of the girls who were sprinting again by in, in, you know, in like the hundred meter dash, if you win by a second, th- that's a big margin. He crushed him by like three seconds, three or four seconds, that's which is true. just, which is just huge. Okay. Um, might as well have lapped them for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and everybody's like, Oh, this is so wonderful. This is so fantastic. I'm like, this is ridiculous. How do you, fi- how do you That's define not wonderful a woman? Or how, fantastic. How, and you guys know that they know sorry, it. You they, know, you it. know that right. you are so far deep into that. You have no choice, but to double down and cheer when you know in the pit of your stomach that that is freaking wrong. just wrong. It's wrong. I fear, I fear like we're going to have an Olympics and we're going to have dudes who come out and say that they're 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 a transgender woman and they're going to be they're going to they're going to go into boxing for example and they're going to mm-hmm. box against up against women there are women boxers in the olympics yes that is a that yes, is a there thing are. there is female there is the women's boxing as a sport in the olympics and one of these guys is going to kill one of these women um in the ring and people are going to lose their minds yeah yeah, they will. That's tra- that's going to be tragic if something like that ever happens. Or or we're going to have we're going to see it in the octagon in these uh y- you know in in these um the MMA stuff. Yeah, the MMA style fighting and everything like that. We're going to have I mean it's only a matter of time at this point. We're going to have a transgender guy. We're going to have a guy who's like, "You know what? I'm not good enough to compete for you know, whatever championships or anything like that. So I'm just going to come out as a transgender and I'm going to fight against the women." And we're going to have a dude kill some, kill some. See, some and, and I think actually, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I hope I'm right. But um, I think the, the MMA groups, they, they won't allow that. They're going, no, I hope they don't. No, they don't. no, no, no. You want to do that? Go somewhere else with your other crap. We're not, we're not down with all that shit. Um, that's not happening here. Sorry. Well, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see. I mean, we never thought the Redskins would change their name. We never thought the Cleveland Indians would change their name. Uh, and and it's happening. So I think with enough pressure, uh, that it can happen and here's, here's how they, here's how they develop this, this pressure. Right. So this happened today, as a matter of fact, um, a young woman, her name is Mimi Groves. You probably didn't hear about this story. No, I did not. She's a, uh, she's a high schooler. She's in high school and she got a scholarship to go to, uh, university of Tennessee at Knoxville. So UT Knoxville and years ago when she was 15, she was caught on video singing to a rap song and while singing because we all know that a lot of rap is filled with it she was filmed saying the n-word okay Okay. she was singing along to the lyrics of a rap song of a rap song she was 15 years old at the time 
Right. Actually, I think now she, she, either she's a senior in high school or she's a freshman in college. I don't, I don't know. I didn't see that part of the story. Okay. Um, but anyway, the, the guy who filmed her, another high school kid waited four years. He waited four years for her to get a full ride scholarship to a university. And now he's released the video. It's a three second clip. Mm-hmm. maybe five second clip. She lost her, she lost her scholarship. The university said, we don't want you. That's terrible. He admitted that he waited. He held the video so that he could release it to maximize her punishment. That's insane. I am not making this up. There are people on Twitter <clears throat> right now who are saying, who are applauding his actions because he has stopped her from becoming a racist teacher or a racist nurse or a racist doctor or a racist whatever she wanted to explore in college. She was 15 years She's old. She's not racist a, for crying out loud. Song. She's singing aloud to a, a rap song, which why is that okay <laughs> in our, our rap music, but it's not okay yeah. to sing along to the rap music? Yeah. It's okay for me as a white person to go out and buy the music and right. support that artist and support the genre, which is just full of, of racism and um, sex and right. the... Uh, uh, objecting women i mean it's absolutely just loaded with it and that's okay you'll take my money if i want to listen to it but if the minute i sing along with it now i'm racist i'm right. misogynist i'm well i mean are you serious and and i want to know where where are the feminists seriously where, where are the feminists on that this is this is one of those kind of situations where the feminists should be coming out of the woodwork saying what the f man Seriously, you got you you got a a freaking angry ex-boyfriend essentially who's just literally admitting he's trying to ruin her life. He admitted to he admitted to holding it and releasing the video at an opportune time where she would suffer the severest consequences and she would be punished and she would learn her lesson about racism. That's this insanity. is this is disgusting. Now, I do have a little bit of hope in humanity. So, um, there is oh. a there is a a, a guy named uh, Dr. James Lindsay. He's a uh, he's a professor. Um, he's definitely not a woke liberal. I would refer to him more as a libertarian. Um, he's actually he hasn't specified which universities yet but he has talked to other university presidents and he's gotten other university presidents now to say, you know what? We'll give her a full ride scholarship. Come to our university. Heck yeah. So he's been encouraging just within the last 24 hours, last few hours, he's been doing this. And so now there are other universities that are stepping forward saying, if UT Knoxville doesn't want her, we'll take her, which I applaud. I I think this is great. Absolutely. Well, and I was just going to say shame on UT Knoxville for actually uh, caving to that crap. Because this is the only way that cancer, that the whole cancel culture will be defeated is correct. Is not to go after, not to cancel those who are doing the canceling either. Um, but to just simply show them that no, we're we're done as a society playing your stupid game. Yeah, no, you can't you can't take somebody who's actually a part of the cancel culture and turn around and cancel them. That does not work. 
It doesn't have because then you're just a big meanie head and you give everybody the reason to actually double down on you. The best way to actually address that is to go, you want to cancel that? You go right on ahead. We'll take care of it. I don't care what you say. You don't like what we're doing? Tough. Deal with it on your own side. You can go bark up somebody else's tree because we don't care. Right. That's the only way you handle that. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk about some masculinity. Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll now. Let's go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's this book. So the idea came, and I, I when I texted you earlier, I said, I want you to think about masculinity, but I want you to think about it from the perspective of king, warrior, magician, and lover. Yep, you did say that. And you were like, do-do-do. I'm, I'm like, why can't <laughs> I be the king wizard who's, um, I'm sorry, you said... <laughs> who's also a warrior and a damn fine lover. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, why can't I be all four? Somebody out there is already making a case. I can feel it that yeah. you're one of the four and I, I, I don't know. I'm probably a lover, not a fighter, but that's okay. Go ahead. So this is, this is based on a book that was published by the, by these two gentlemen, these two scholars, Robert Moore and Doug Gillette. So they published this book called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, Rediscovering the Archetypes of the, Ma- of the Mature Masculine. I would encourage anybody, I would encourage any male to actually read this book. It's a great, uh, it's a great book. And um, when I dug it up uh, and started going through it again, thinking about all of this kinds of things. And so part of the argument that they make is that our society needs more masculinity which I agree. They, and they, their, their whole argument is we need a good masculinity and they define good masculinity by these four archetypes called King, warrior, magician, and lover. Now, before I go down that path, we need to define some terms. So what is it that they mean when they say an archetype? Um, the word archetype, it's a very Jungian term. Carl Jung, uh, coined the term archetype. And what he's referring to is, um, I would, I would, it's a character class. It is exactly a character class. Thank you very much. Yes. That's the best way of thinking about it. If you've played an RPG role-playing game, right. There are things like, well, I want to be the warrior or I want to be the paladin or I want to be the fighter. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to be the little thief, the rogue, right. Those are archetypes. And so these archetypes are structured in a way that really fit in with our psychology. And we fit into these different types of archetypes all over the place. Um, so these guys, these two, Robert Moore and Doug Gillette, they, they thought a lot about this stuff and through their psychotherapy practices, they came up with these four archetypes called King, Warrior, Magician, and Lover. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully that makes sense. What, one of the things that they lead the book on is they say, you know what, that thing that everybody says is toxic masculinity their claim is really that's boy psychology. Yeah, and they say I can see that. they say what we we need. Of course, we need less boy psychology, and we actually need man psychology. And what you have, and they they lay out this case that there are that most men operating out in the world are still operating under boy psychology. They have not transcended that boy psychology to embrace man psychology. And that is, that is according to uh, Messrs. Moore and Gillette, that's why we have this sort of, this whole concept of toxic masculinity. Okay. Okay. 
So, uh, and, and I'm just, I'm making a couple leaps here, but I'm assuming this boy psychology is really identifying more the, um, I guess kind of the, the testosterone driven actions of the young man trying to find his way before he can transition, almost trying to curb the, the, the negative behind testosterone. Am I, I mean, am I um, grasping that? Yeah. In a, in a manner of speaking. So, you know, there are a lot of ancient cultures and societies, right. That had, and we talked about this on this show, we talked about rites of passage. Mm-hmm. and how we lack rites of passage in our society and how important that is for young men. You know, when, when young boys are going, th- when they're growing up, they're very attached to their mother. And in, in a lot of ancient tribes and, and societies, what would happen is there came a point in time where the, the men would actually say, okay, nope, you're done being a little child. You're done. You, it's time for you to become a man. We're, we're, we're literally ripping you away from your mother and you're going to undergo this rite of initiation. And during that rite of initiation, you are abandoning all of your boyhood, you know, ideals. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And, and we're also teaching you some of the mysteries of what it is to be a man. Right. And the tribe, everybody around you in that, in your group, in your tribe, in your society now looks upon you as you're a man and you're expected Yes. All of the tribe now says you are expected to be a man. There's that transition. And men, mm-hmm. we lack that today. We don't we have do. those kinds of things. No, our, our society as a whole, we lack that transition where the expectation, um, the transformation has to happen from boy to manhood. And it's more mental than anything else. It, it yeah, doesn't much, really, much so. It's very much a, a mental transformation where you step out of the child mentality of being provided for. And yeah. having others provide for you and now take on the provider role um, as a man entering into that. And now society also holds you accountable for being a man. I mean, um, right. And we have these in our society, right? There are, there are examples of people who are 50 years old who live at home with their parents, not because they're taking care of their parents. There's a difference. Sure. Right. There's a difference where you become, you, you reach a certain age, your parents have reached a certain age. Maybe one of your parents have, has passed on. And now you're going, you're making the choice to live with your parent or parents so that you can take care of them in their old age. That's a lot different. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the people, the 50 year old men who they have nothing going on in their lives. They've never made anything of themselves. They've never held a job for more than a couple of months. Um, they, they barely know how to change the oil in their car or even go get the oil changed in their car. They don't know how to function in society because mommy and daddy have done all of that for them their entire life. Right. And so now they live at home in their parents' basement and their parents buy them all of the food and their parents pay for their housing and their clothes and all of that stuff. And in some cases... Their parents even pay for their for their son's son or son's daughter, yeah. right? So now they're paying for their grandchildren, taking care of their grandchildren because their own son or sons are incapable of doing so because they've right. never transitioned away from boy psychology to man psychology. Right. It's a complete failure to launch idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's that complete yeah. failure to launch. 
one of the things that they they said in in this book as I was kind of going back through it, uh, I kind of chuckled, but I think it's very 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 true. Um, there's a, this line where they say boys fear women. They also fear real men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. very, very true. Cause as a yeah, boy, right. Is. You remember if you remember you going back to like, talk to girls, man, you're like, no, I oh, can't man. talk to anyone. No, 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 no. You know, yep. going to those, the, the middle school dance, right. Where you're only there for two hours anyway. Right. And, and uh, you know, mom drops you off and all the teachers are there and all the guys are just like stuck up against the wall. Yeah. Right? They refuse to go because they're terrified, terrified of, of the opposite of the opposite gender. Right. But they also fear, but boys also fear real men. And I think yes. that's a, I think that's a very, and I'm not talking about abusive men or anything. I'm talking about no, real men, men of man psychology. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's more than just a physical, it's not a physical fear of violence that, that I Correct. think that they're referring to. It's, it's um, uh, almost a, a personal intimidation, you know, not, not wanting to overstep their bounds with someone who is strong in their, in their person, in their character, a real man in that regard. And they're usually told what to do right. by people like that. You know, one of the cases that they make in this book is that when you have these grown men who are still abiding by this boy psychology, they are, they refer to them as the patriarchal male. Okay. So they're using patriarchy in the same kind of negative connotation that mm -hmm. a lot of new wave feminists use it. And, and, in some degree, in, in some ways that the new wave feminists, the second wave feminists, right? They are, they're, they're poking at something truthful here, right? Mm -hmm. But they're, they're, they're labeling it as masculinity rather than boy psychology. And they're trying to make that determination or that differentiation here. But one of the things they say here is they say the patriarchal male, that man, that got the grown up man that has not matured, mm -hmm. the patriarchal male does not welcome the full masculine development of his sons or his male subordinates any more than he welcomes the full development of his daughters or his female employees. So he doesn't want his own sons to grow up and to become men either. He doesn't want even people that he works with. If he's a manager, for example, I think this, which I find this is kind of interesting because I didn't know this. I didn't, it didn't stick in my head at the time. They were actually talking about like leadership, right? Mm -hmm. so you have managers in a, in an organization, uh, in a corporation that they're, they're incapable of leading true men because they don't, they, they're, they're afraid. They're of not, a, they're not able to handle challenge. Correct. Um, anybody challenging their ideas, their, their way of thinking, their anything, their authority, um, any kind of challenge is actually something they shy away from and run away from. Um, and I can understand that to a point. Yeah. It's very easy to maintain a harem. If you are the only bull, with all the horns at the top. Um, and if you strike down all of those who could potentially rise up to challenge your, you in that position, I understand the mentality behind that, but you got to understand that that's, that's not strength. That's weakness. I mean, these are the same people that unfortunately are, are very susceptible to groupthink mentality by probably people who don't have the, their best interest at heart. I mean, you look, I think this is how people get brought up into um, gangs very easily. Yep. You know, there it's, and, and if you look at the, the gang mentality, you have usually one person at the head of that for each individual area, however, they're dispersed. Um, and you there is no challenge. 
to that. Um, it's, it's obedience. So if you look at uh, boys, if you will, leaving home or leaving their home, and then they get into another support structure where they're provided for and taken care of, and, and they just do what they're told, that's a lateral movement. And, and it's very easy to fall back into that and stay into that. Um, and we talked about this when we were talking about a, a lack of fathers um, in some of these areas and how and, and in our rite of passage discussion, the same thing happens. And I think that's why, unfortunately, you have a lot of um, fatherless families out there for the same reason. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the whole thing about gangs, for example. So mm -hmm. there, for men, young men in economically depressed areas of our country, um, a lot of them may turn to gangs, for example, mm -hmm. to find um, acceptance and, and, and these gangs will, you know, there are initiation rights that are involved right. in becoming a, a gang member. And a lot of these young guys say that, well, now they're a man because they became a member of the gang. What I like about this book is they actually draw that differentiation and they say, you know, this is a replacement for those types of initiations that we used to do, but they're, they're fake initiations. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not true initiations because, um, true men, those that have, those that have embraced man psychology, that mature masculinity, true men are not wantonly destructive. They're not wantonly violent. Um, and they make a great case for it as they go through the four different archetypes that men are not wantonly violent, but violent, but men can become soldiers. They do have an archetype, for example, of the warrior, they can be aggressive when the need arises, but they're not wantonly aggressive. And there's a difference there. Yeah, no. And, and I think this is an example that um, uh, my, my dad told me a long time ago, don't ever go looking for a fight. Right. That's the difference between being a boy and a man. You don't ever go looking for a fight, but you don't shy away from it when it shows up at your door. And, and I, and it's, it's really interesting looking at it. And, and I think you're touching on it already. It's, you don't, you don't go out seeking violence. You're not going out to try and prove yourself anywhere because the, the proving has already happened. That's happened internally. That's part of that mental and personal transformation from boy to man is you don't have that need to prove yourself to the man um, culture. You don't have your, to that, that man tribe anymore. You're, you're right. already there. Um, and a man is not going to go out looking for that. However, a man, a true man, I believe, stands his ground when he is challenged to either protect that which is important to him or when his true values and, and or principles are in jeopardy. That's the firm stance that a man takes when those things are, are threatened. It, there, there's a couple of interesting passages and we'll get into the archetypes here in a minute. They're just, I want to lay some framework down because I think they're, I think it's really interesting um, here. They, they talk about how in order, and it says here, I'm reading from their, from their book, in order for man psychology to come into being for any particular man, there needs to be a death. Death, symbolic, psychological, or spiritual is always a vital part of any initiatory ritual. So all initiations throughout history and different cultures and everything, uh, the, 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 male, the male has to die in order to be reborn as that man. In other words, they have to be like the skin that sheds the old skin 
you know, their, their skin off or mm -hmm. the, the, the caterpillar that emerges from the chrysalis, there has to be that ritual that's very symbolic death, where it's very apparent to the individual going, going through the initiation that yeah, they've transformed. It has yep. to be shocking. Mm -hmm. It has to be shocking. It has to be like, oh, wow, something, what has just happened to me? So that you can feel that transformation. Right. And we talked about this when we, when we went through our rites of passage and, and you're right. We, we did mention that the, regardless of what group you're in or, or what part of society for that to actually be a transformative idea, there is a sense of death and rebirth. Um, you leave the old life behind and you're transformed into a new archetype, if you will, um, in, in your passage to manhood. And yeah. there is a, a, a death of that. They, they go on here in the book. They say the ritual process of becoming the, the, of becoming the man is contained by two things. The first is sacred space. And the second is a ritual elder, a wise old man or a wise old woman who is completely trustworthy for the initiate and can lead the initiate through the process and deliver him intact and enhanced on the other side. And we talked to, I brought up the, uh, the spirit guide. If mm -hmm. you remember that, um, when we were talking about the native American cultures mm -hmm. and finding your spirit guide out of the wilderness and someone you can trust a wise person, which is really kind of cool. So a lot of this is tying together. I'm liking it so far. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's get into, um, you know, sadly what they, what they also admit is, is that um, these kinds of initiation rites, they don't see them happening, returning into society at a systemically, right? Mm -hmm. um, in large numbers. So we're, we're kind of at this point of no return where we're not going to have, we're not going to have all of a sudden every, you know, 17, 18 year old kid go through an initiation rite for a society such as ours. We're kind of past that point of no return. So for men who are, or young men who are growing up, they almost have to go through this on their own sort of internally. They don't really talk about how one should do, how one should actually accomplish that. But sadly, that's sort of where we are. They, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to bring this up so that people, I know people, you, uh, for example, you're a perfect example. You have a, a, a son that you're trying to raise. And I know there are other people that listen to the show that have sons and I'm, and I hope that they hear this and think, Hmm, maybe there's something to this whole initiation process. And how do you do that with your own son? How do you, how do you look for those moments where you can sort of initiate them from being adolescent, from boy psychology into man psychology? So these are things to kind of think about. Yeah. Well, and, and you've got a little boy in the house, yeah. So I'm sure this is something you've pondered over since reading this and how that's going to happen. And, you know, systemically, is there going to be some sort of institution or change in our society to make this, to address this? No, but I think this is something that we as fathers have to take ownership of as fathers and say, this is probably one of the more most pivotal parts of raising a a son in particular um, is providing some sort of structured rite of passage or at least recognition of the transformation from boyhood to manhood. Um, you know, I remember the old idea of, of your dad sits you down and you guys share your first beer and he says, all right, you're a man now. 
Well, that's, that's cool. But is that going to constitute a rite of passage? No. But is that a place for fathers out there to start? Sure. Yes. I absolutely think that can be. I mean, and you look at the, the, I guess, kind of more transformative moments of, of growing up. I mean, whether it's, um, you start driving, you know, that's a step on that passage, on that journey. Um, you turn 18, why that's a big thing. I don't know, but still, all right, you graduate high school and you're 18. Now, um, you turn 21 at some point you move out of your parents' house and you get your own. I mean, you, when you talk about actually leaving your house, whether it's by choice or by force, your parents say, all right, that's it. You got to roll. Um, that's a big transformative moment where you have to now provide for your own household. That's a key spot to really hone in on. And if you're a father out there, this is a moment where you really start talking to your son about, okay, you're on your own now. This is what this is going to mean. That doesn't mean I'm outside of, of, um, earshot. I'm not gone. I'm a phone call away. I'm here to help, but you have to now step up and take ownership of your own life and your own home. This is your dominion, your, your safe haven. This is for you to protect and own. You know what I mean? Those kind of conversations are, are, I think, pivotal steps in trying to make that rite of passage actually happen. And there are, there are elements here that I think mothers need to be aware of um, because mothers have that tendency. They do want to be mom. They want to mother their children. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And, but we have to be careful, not only as fathers, but, but mothers as well, that there comes a point where you have to back off on the mothering. Mm-hmm. You, you have to, and that's where, that's why a couple can be such, such a good team is that the, the father can now step in and say, okay, you you can still be mom. You can still mother him if he gets too hurt, but he needs to start standing on his own. Yeah. And, yeah, and moms and, need to recognize that and back off. And and keep in mind, I, I think this is, we should point this out. There is a vital um, relationship dynamic between son and mother mm-hmm. that son and father will never have. Correct. Um, so in for the purpose of our discussion, and we're talking about masculinity, keep in mind, um, at no point, I don't believe, are we going to be trying to diminish the relationship between mother and son? Um, actually, quite the contrary. I think by developing a, from transforming a boy into a man, the relationship between mother and son actually strengthens in a very unique way. Um, very much so. So, but yes, I agree with you. You have to. <laughs> And that same idea. All right, you got to fend for yourself. It's time to detach you from your mama and from me and from all of the comforts of home. And you got to figure it out. I'm going to throw you in the pool. If you do, you know how to swim? Well, let's find out. Pump. That's a total dad tactic. Do you know how to swim? I don't know. Let's find out. Throw you in the pool. <laughs> well, oh, and, I got to get him. <laughs> and there's there's an important thing there because, and I you I think you touched on it, and that is if mothers allow themselves to back off and allow their boys to become to embrace man psychology and transcend away from that boy psychology, they will have a deeper and more meaningful relationship with their sons, mm-hmm. yes. and and sons with their mothers. 
but if 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 the mothers continue to mother their sons, then all they do is encourage their sons to remain in that boy psychology, yep. which now now if you think about it, what are you doing to the future women that might that your son now may come across and as he and grows up? We're, we're, let's look at at one of the things I've heard women universally, I mean all over of all different ages say something very specific and i'm sure you've probably heard the same thing but say men aren't men anymore they're just boys yeah and i, I mean th these guys are all just little boys and they're still attached to their moms and they're still i've heard that you've heard that i know you have yeah and i mean this yeah that's what ends up happening if you actually don't create a necessary separation so that that relationship can develop in my mind, appropriately. Yeah. So here's a here's a really interesting thing. They actually acknowledge um, the the concept of the divine baby boy. Okay. So they talk a little bit about this figure in mythology known as the divine baby boy, and they say even less known is that this figure of the divine baby boy, universal in all our religions, is also universal inside ourselves. This can be seen from the dreams of men in psychoanalysis, who frequently, especially as they start to get better dream about a baby boy who fills the dream with light and joy and a sense of wonder and refreshment. I thought that was really, that's kind of stood out because we're, we're in the Christmas season. We are literally, mm -hmm. we are literally celebrating. We, we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of Jesus as the, the literal divine baby boy come to earth. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is, this is not a, this is not it. They're not saying that this is a bad thing. They're actually saying, no, the baby boy, the divine baby boy exists in the world, exists in mythology and brings wonder and joy and all of this sort of thing. It's a, this, this sense of rebirthing and, and all of that that comes along with it. But now how do we take that and transcend that into the next stage of life? There's, there's something here that I want to be very clear on because I think that there are a lot of people. I know a lot of folks who are a lot of men who are not very religious. Okay. okay. And there's a, there's a distinction here that I think people need to understand. A lot of people who claim to be not religious, they stand against the supernatural concept of religion. And they tend to be anti-religious because they tend to say, yeah, that all that supernatural stuff, it's not for me. When we're talking about things like this, these archetypes or the divine baby boy or mythology in general, if all you're focused in on is the supernatural qualities of these gods and mythological concepts, you're completely missing the point of all of these mythological stories, mm -hmm. completely missing the point. So I just well, wanted to kind of put that out there. And, and since you brought that up, I think it's interesting or it's, it's important to point out. I think most people who claim that they're not religious are really, they, they still, they have some sort of belief or understanding or conceptual ideology that's actually able to latch on to what a div divinity of some sort may be. Um, most of them say, well, I'm sure there's a supreme being of some sort, but do they really have any influence on our daily lives? Yeah, probably not. Or this, or they can, they, maybe they don't believe in the Christian God, but they do believe in something. Very rarely have I actually found people who are true, honest atheists, 100%. Very rarely have I actually come across someone like that. And so most people say that they're not religious, that they, 
they don't know what they believe. They don't really care to figure out what they believe. And they're sure as heck not going to go to any kind of institutionalized place to get that. So I, that's my point. So I'm about ready to talk about the king or getting into the archetype of the king first. But before I do, what I want to ask is, have you ever seen the movie Excalibur? Yes. Okay. Fantastic. For those of you who haven't, pause this. Go watch Excalibur right now. <laughs> came out during the <laughs> came out during the eighties. Probably one of the best movies ever made about King Arthur, the Arthurian legends, and all of that. Um, during the movie, if you recall, um, there are there's a number of things that happen, obviously, to King Arthur and you know the Knights of the Round Table and all of that. But one of the more interesting things that I think happens is the king, after he encounters, after he rec- realizes that um, that Lancelot has been stooping the queen, right? And there's that break. The king, King Arthur, becomes very sick. And he he's not sick physically. He's sick spiritually. Mm-hmm. And this spiritual sickness, in other words, he this spiritual sickness is manifested throughout the realm that the realm itself, the entire kingdom falls into disarray Mm -hmm. and it becomes very dark and very gloomy. And this spurs the Knights of the Round Table to go off in search of the Holy Grail, right? And there's a scene in the movie that, um, you know, one of the Knights brings back, um, you know, the, the Holy Grail and King Arthur takes a sip of it and he he kind of he says, you know, my it was like this cloud, this veil has been lifted over my eyes. Uh, and he is reinvigorated and he calls all his knights together and they're ready to go to war against Mordred. And they ride through the countryside. And as they ride through, you know, all of the flowers bloom. Uh, it's a very mythological profound moment that's happening. It's showing how the king is sort of wedded to the land around him. And that when the king is off his game, that the land suffers. So in other words, mythologically speaking, the king is married to the kingdom. Really, truly, the king is married to the kingdom. Um, So what they talk about, I wanted to just kind of bring that up because if you've seen Excalibur, I want you to hold that image in your mind. The authors here, they go on to say that the function of the king um, talking about the, the function of the king, they say what this function of the king energy does through a mortal king is embody for the people of the realm this ordering principle of the divine world. The human king does this by codifying laws. And they go on to say the mortal king's first responsibility is to live according to Mayat or Dharma or the Tao. If he does, the mythology goes, everything in the kingdom, that is the creation, the world will also go according to the right order. The kingdom will flourish. If the king does not live in the Tao, then nothing will go right for his people or for the kingdom as a whole. The realm will languish. The center, which the king represents, will not hold and the kingdom will be ripe for rebellion. So what they're saying here is the is. The king archetype, when we embrace the king archetype in our man psychology, we actually are bringing order to the world around us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're, we're bringing order and, and it's not just, we're not tyrants. We're supposed to be living the Tao, living the Dharma, right? Living by a, by a, by a code. Right. Right. It's, and, and I think for all of us guys out there, we know at least one person who's like this, you know, they, they, 
are always just, they're always truthful, they're always upright, and they just, just by living and being around, kind of inspire other people to not only follow them, but to live in similar light. Or, you know, that's the person you're like, okay, I'll do this, but don't tell so-and-so because, you know, if he thought bad of me for whatever reason, it would just, it'd kill me. I couldn't do it. So. And, and, and keep in mind that the king here, right? The king is the, this, this king, this man psychology of the king thinks about the people around him. In, in our worlds, that might just simply be the, the people that might report to us at work. If we're a manager, for example, mm-hmm. our employees, if we run a business or something like that, but it might also be referred to our friends and to our family members. And what the king does, if you think about somebody like the archetypal king, like King Arthur, they're there for the people, right? They do everything that they do is geared toward ensuring the security and the betterment of the people within the realm. And so the, the archetype of the king, of, the, of man psychology as king is we take care of those who are around us. We think about those people in positive ways and we look for ways that we can bring order such that we enrich and better the lives of the people around us. I think that's a very important thing. And so when we think about this in terms of a positive masculinity, we're not there to shit all over our employees. We're not there to, you know, we look at our employees as, as our mentees. We are the mentors for them and we are doing what we can to cultivate them and to grow them and to become, to help them become better than what they were yesterday. Right. And we look for ways to protect our families and to let them grow. And so this, and in, in, this goes double for the women who are in our lives. We're not oppressing them. We're not beating them. We're not keeping them down. We're not telling them that they can't work or they have to just stay in the kitchen. We're looking for ways that we can prop them up so they can grow and become the women that they are meant to be. Right. It's, it's really the empower, the empowerer um, and, and the natural born leaders in our lives who, who actually prop those others up. And, and I almost want to say the provider type, but, um, it's, it's all the same. It's, it's very, um, there's, it's, it's a very, it's a very masculine archetype, obviously, but, but also I guess kind of a little bit more passive, you know, um, in the sense of not, not grabbing for power by the tip of a sword or by force, but, um, empowering others and therefore enriching themselves as well. One of the things that they, they talk about as the, as the, the king, the king role, right? The king blesses people within the realm. He, in other words, he, he also fulfills a type of religious duty in his functions. In fact, many, uh, many societies, the king was seen as, uh, as divinely uh, recognized mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to lead the realm. Um, and so by his divine placement as head of the state, right, the king could, uh, could provide blessings onto people, okay? Um, and one of the interesting things is there are numerous psychological studies that show that the simple act of blessing, right, there's the, there's the act of, of like a priest, for example, who, who blesses you. And when we hold very, um, when we hold those beliefs to be true and, and, and we strengthen our, our beliefs, 
um, and we really believe in the power of that blessing, that the act of blessing actually changes the chemicals in our, in our minds and in our bodies. Um, and it then allows us to feel more valued and, and blessed and praised and more worthy that there is a, there is a sense of up, upliftingness that happens during the act of blessing. Um, and that's a very powerful thing, right? So, you know, I, I know people will say, oh, I don't believe in that supernatural mumbo jumbo, but there's a, there's a connection that happens there. And we can even strip away all that supernatural stuff if it makes people feel uncomfortable. And we can just look at the relationship that happens between blesser and blessee, right? And the chemical changes and the relationship that gets strengthened there. Um, and whether you want to call it mind over matter or whatever, there's a ritual, uh, a sacredness that happens that transpires during that act of blessing that actually does improve people's lives by the, even if for a short instant, even for a short few moments, there is a very positive and very powerful impact that that thing, ha that that happens. And as men uh, embracing this king role, we can provide that same kind of upliftingness to the people around us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, I, I don't believe, as formal. I understand exactly what you're talking about, about blessing other people. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, doing for others, and, and especially those in need, this is, this is the kind of person that rushes to the aid of total strangers mm -hmm. in, in situations. And not, not I'm saying, going to rush into a fight, but, um, right. but going to just lend a helping hand or lend or give, aid, give charity, for example, charity. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, really when, um, you know, I had an instance, I asked somebody at work the other day and I said, you doing okay. You seem stressed out. What's going on. And she was kind of taken aback by like, what, what do I look that bad? I said, no, I can just tell things are, things are happening with you and, and you don't seem as chipper. Tell me about it. And, um, we talked for a little bit and I said, well, I hope things are going, are going to get better. I'm sure they will for you. Let me know if there's anything I could do for you, you know, take care, try and do, you know, bring a smile on your face. It'll help, you know, and to, most people go, well, what the heck was that? But just that act of actually showing somebody else that you care and you're there to, to, in essence, bless them going forward. Um, she came up to me a couple days ago and said, you know, that meant a lot when you actually stopped and what you said. So I understand at least that part, or I guess taking the, the ritualistic or the religious aspect of blessing someone else out and putting it into a real life context. Yeah. So the next archetype that they have here is the warrior. Um, and I think the warrior is probably the, the, the one out of all of these archetypes that could probably get the the, a bad rap sure. um but they they actually lay out a really interesting concept for the warrior and and um in their in their description of the warrior archetype the warrior is that element within us that is um must mo most geared toward taking action so the warrior is the one that acts in the world okay mm -hmm. but they also they also lay out and say it's not just blind action for the sake of action uh, and, and as a warrior, their version of a warrior, their definition of the warrior is not just somebody who's, I'm just, I'm combative. I'm a, the fighter. They liken, the doer. they liken the warrior to the, uh, to the very traditional samurai role, right? 
where the warriors of like, you know, the, the samurais, for example, they had, um, they had the way in which they lived. Everything was very meticulously planned and thought out. And they had a very specific way of, of living. Um, what they called what the samurai called the dough, right? The, it was all of their moral rules and guidelines uh, that kept them in check. And, and, and so for like somebody like for someone who was like a sam who was a samurai honor was everything, right? So they did not act without honor. They did not act in a way that brought dishonor to other people, to themselves, to their family, etc. And so their characteristic or their archetype of the warrior is someone who also has that total way of life, that total way of living that's very focused, but is purpose-filled. But the warrior is that is he who takes action within the world. And that's that's important when you when you start balancing the warrior with these other archetypes is, you know, you you want you need to be a king, but you also need to be a king who takes action when the time comes. And the warrior helps you to take that action when it comes. But by being guided by the king, you're going to take action in a very specific purpose-filled way. Yeah. I, I, so, of course, when you say warrior, naturally everybody thinks to the soldier, the fighter. Um, but I... I was actually writing some notes down before you were talking about what the, the warrior would be in our society. And I, I guess attributed these more to the, the doers, these, um, and, very and so, very yeah. meticulous in, in that, the, um, trying to think of an, of an example, maybe of a profession that would help besides the soldier, you know, military style, but, um, let's say a mechanic. Okay. Very hands-on in there usually grease up to their elbows but they're very meticulous in how they do everything um throughout the process if you're getting i don't care if it's an oil change or a transmission there's step one through step 200 and you do them in order for a reason because if you don't somebody get hurt you lose something something breaks you mess everything up but it's it's very very ordered in that regard um and then you started talking about living by honor which was a little bit outside of what I was originally thinking. So mm. that was kind of, very, that was very interesting twist um, that they're taking that. Cause we talked about honor quite a bit. Gosh, I want to say that was, might've even been episode one or two. Yeah. A long, long, long time ago. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was rereading this section about the warrior uh, is I was thinking about martial arts, for example. And if you think about the, the karate kid movie, the original karate kid movie, right? Uh, Mr. Miyagi has him do, you know, wax on, wax off, you know, paint the, uh, paint the fence. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was, what he was, what he was doing, what we quickly learn a few minutes later into the film is he was teaching him that muscle memory mm -hmm. such that when Mr. Miyagi throws a punch, all he has to do is do the wax on, wax off. And he's all, now he's blocking, you know, blocking those punches. He's, he doesn't have to think about it, right? It's, right. it's built into the muscle memory and he just, he just takes action and he reacts. And so that's, that's a way of looking at their definition of the warrior. And that's why it's so important that the warrior has to live by a specific path within life, right? So that when they do act, they're, they're, they don't have to overthink it, right? Mm -hmm. the, the warrior is not about thinking. 
So if the warrior is not about thinking, then everything you do before you actually take action is going to be very important. In right. Even in terms of drilling, we do this in the military. The military drills and drills and drills. So it just becomes second nature. You don't think about it. You just do it. Right. right. When, you know, all hands on, you know, battle stations, you just move and everybody just does their function without even thinking about it. Because if you think about certain things, then that can mean the difference between life or death, depending on the situation. So yeah. the warrior is the one who takes action very, very quickly, but it's important to have that, the, your own personal dough that you're living by so that when you do take action, you're it's, it's with a purpose and it's very specific um, and controlled without just resorting to rage uh, or crazy, you know, irrationality. You're, it's a controlled form of action. And I think that's, that's what's really important about the warrior archetype. Right. These, these are definitely not the talkers. They're no. not the intellectuals. <laughs> yeah. These are your men of action. And, you know, unfortunately, I feel like this is probably of the four, the one that is going to or does come under the most fire from everybody um, that doesn't make people in this archetype dumb at all. Correct. Um, yeah. it, but this is this, they don't do this. They're not sitting around talking about the inner workings of society and why ma masculinity is important. They're, they're out living what we just sit around talking about. <laughs> um, but imagine what our society would be like if we did not have decisive, firm men of action in vital places within our society. I mean, I talked about the mechanic. That's mundane. But imagine what would happen if you took your car um, to somebody that didn't live like this. It probably wouldn't come back in as many pieces or the same amount that you right. took it in there with. Um, and imagine where, let's just say like our military. I know we weren't going to use the fighter analogy, but just, you know what? I know our generals, they've got this. Mm -hmm. They are men of action and thank God for it. Right. Because if they weren't, we'd be in a, we'd be in big trouble. There's a, there's another piece here that they call out that the warrior, the warrior is best served when the warrior serves something greater than himself. So the warrior who, who is in service, who serves, a cause or a God or a nation or a King or whatever, right? Like, like the Knights of the round table, right? They were in service, not only to, you know, they, they pledged their lives, not only to King Arthur, but to the ideal of what Camelot stood for, right? right? right. Samurai did the same thing. They pledged themselves to the ideal of their Lord and the ideal of the dough, the way of living life, right? And the way of the sword, the samurai sword, et cetera. So the warrior is best served when there's this, um, there's this transcendent idea that they are um, in service to. And that's, a, that's another important thing is that the warrior is in service to something else. Right. We're right. okay. And that even these generals in our military, right? They are in service to our country and to the yep. people of our country. Yep. And service is something greater than themselves. And, and I think, you know, the, the Knights of the round table is a great example because yes, they did, they swore allegiance to King Arthur, but also to Camelot. And right. that is all inclusive of not just the ideals of why Camelot existed, but also the people and of all station they knew that they were to give their lives for everybody from the nobility to the peasantry. 
I mean, it was all the same because it was, it was that service of others. That's what elevated them. Right. So the third archetype that they have here is magician. I don't like the term magician. I don't. Okay. I prefer the term sorcerer only because I guess it's because well, I read yeah. a lot of Carlos Castaneda. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go with warlock just because. <laughs> it's very dark. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I prefer the term sorcerer. And the reason why I don't like it, because I, I just don't like the term magician, because in my mind, when I think of the term magician, I think of- You go to David Copperfield. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, and, you know, and all he's doing is tricking people. He's tricking you. Yeah. And that's not what this archetype is about. This archetype is is about something much more than than trickery. It's Merlin. Um, and that's, right, he's, he's Merlin. And that's why I like the term sorcerer as opposed to as opposed to magician. Um, they, they, so let me read a little bit of here from, uh, from the book about the magician. The human magician is always an initiate himself. And one of his tasks is to initiate others. But of what is, but of what is he an initiate? The magician is an initiate of secret and hidden knowledge of all kinds. And this is the important point. All knowledge that takes special training to acquire is the province of the magician energy. So, and it doesn't matter whether you're an electrician, you know, you might be an electrician, you might be a stonemason, you might be a metallurgist, right? You might be computer uh, programmer. a computer programmer, uh, a professor at a college, at a university, right? You hold some kind of specialized knowledge and you're there to initiate others into that, into that secret knowledge and, and not hold it from them. Right. We have, I, I'm sure we've all had various bosses, right. Who, or just other people that you might work, have worked with that they didn't really teach you everything. They just taught you enough. Right. But they wouldn't give you all of the knowledge so that you could be successful in, in, in your role, in your job there, right? They were holding that knowledge back. And why are you looking at me like that? Oh Go my ahead. God. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the best parts. This is why I love doing this, this podcast and this show with you. I really do because I get to speak for, and I think represent for the most part, the general listening audience and public that, that actually tunes into our show. I'm okay. just Joe Q public. I'm the random dude in the garage who gets to sit here and bask in the glory of Dr. Ramirez's intellectual <laughs> prowess. Um, so I can tell you up until this point, everybody's already starting to try and figure out where you and I fall into these archetypes. Sure, and sure. you didn't get three words in and everybody's like, there's Lucy right there. <laughs> I did. I was like, oh yeah, there yeah, he is. Well, yeah. <laughs> I put myself more into this bucket too. So uh, yeah. yeah. So does everybody else who's ever had a conversation <laughs> with you for more than five minutes. Um, but no, this is, this is really cool because you know, I, I, I like, I'm really glad you brought up Camelot because I think it gives us something tangible to be able to kind of correlate a lot of this too. So I look at Merlin, you know, in this magician or would you say sorcerer category sorcerer yeah. um it's such a better the, word it's a cooler it word it's a cooler <laughs> word <laughs> well especially because you're putting yourself right there but that's cool um you know it's not necessarily the person that's going to give you all the answers but give you the book or the tome of knowledge which you can then source out and find the answers you're looking for and that is just like you which I love. I absolutely love it. So, I mean, this is, I, I think a lot of like my, my grandfather, 
you know, he would never give me the answers to questions that I had, but he would um, hint at the answers just enough to whet my appetite and satiate my appetite so that I would go find it right where he was trying to get me to go. Um, and I love that. I had to come off mute there because I didn't want to be typing while you were, uh, while you were, were talking. Yeah, I, I, one of the things about, and that's why I wanted to talk about, um, you know, Excalibur and Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur and all of that, because this is really important. This, this is really important in the way mythology tells about these types of stories. We can see that these archetypes are already present within a mythological story like the Arthurian legend. So obviously the magician is that Merlin character. There's a, there's a scene from Excalibur when King Arthur or Arthur has, he's just pulled the sword from the stone. He went and fought different, you know, fought his first battle and he was knighted on the battlefield. Uh, and he's like, you know, he's a young kid. He's like 19, 20 years old. Right. And so everybody, you know, he's having to win over the hearts and minds and why should anybody follow this kid? Right. And so now they're celebrating. There's this whole celebration that's happening. And Arthur has seen Guinevere for the first time. And he's holding like this cake, this little piece of cake. It's more like a cookie or something like that. And Merlin, I, I'm paraphrasing what he says here, but Merlin is talking to him and he's looking at, he sees that Arthur is looking at Guinevere and he tells him, he says, you know, love is a lot like, like this cake. You don't know what's going to happen until you take a bite out of it. And until then it's too late. And he looks over and Arthur's already taken a bite out of it. And he says, yeah, too late. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love that. I love the character of Merlin in that movie because he's always, he's always sharing this knowledge, but in a way that, you sort of have to figure it out. He's going to, he's going to tell you the answer, but not in a very black and white right. way. Right. He's right. in a way that you have to kind of think about it and, and reflect on it. And that's what I love about Merlin. And I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of men who are the, who fill this magician role, they want to give you the answers, but they want to make you have to work for it a little bit, because well, if you yeah. don't work for it, then it's not going to stick in your head. You're not going to understand why. Well, and not only that, I mean, you don't, you don't actually learn from it, right? If I just tell you how to do it, we talked about this about um, when we were talking about the benefits of failure versus success, mm -hmm. you know, success teaches you nothing failure. You learn as you go. If you seek the answers out, you learn about not only the situation, but you learn about yourself along the way. And my grandfather was full of little nuggets like this that always made sense later on, never at the time he told it to you. You know, I remember talking about trying to, I don't even remember what the heck the situation was, but he goes, well, never get into a pissing contest with a skunk. <laughs> what the hell does that even mean? Well, now I get it, but it took me a lot of years to kind of figure out what the heck he was even talking about. And I was like, oh, well, if you'd have just told me, you know, right. not to do that little thing, but there were so many of those little things that he, he told me growing up and, and, um, that I'll never forget just because they were little nuggets of wisdom that you actually had to unpack and unwrap just to try and figure out what the heck that even meant. Then it was like, Oh, of course, you know, this is the Mufasa in the sky to Simba, you know, 
Um, your, the answer lies in the stars above. Oh, that's what he meant. Stars <laughs> above. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there's an interesting passage here from the book. Um, and I think this is really interesting given our crazy world in which we live. Uh, they write here, ours is an age, as we've said, of personal and gender identity chaos. Sure. And chaos is always the result of inadequate accessing of the magician in some vital areas of life. Okay. And they go on to say that the magician energy is the archetype of awareness and of insight primarily, but also of knowledge of anything that is not immediately apparent or commonsensical. It is the archetype that governs what is called in psychology, the observing ego. So, and then they go further. It's proper role, the magician, is to stand back and observe, to scan the horizon, to monitor the data coming in from both the outside and the inside. And then out of its wisdom, its knowledge of power within and without, and its technical skill in channeling, make the necessary life decisions. The magician then is the archetype of thoughtfulness and reflection. And, you know, that part of you know, going back to what they just said about the gender identity, personal and gender identity chaos. I think that's, I think that's really important. We spend a lot of time not talking about truth in our, in our culture, not act, not acknowledging truthfulness uh, or no. what reality is. No. And, and you and I have talked about this over and over and over and over and over again. People say that they want the truth. No, they don't. No, they don't People want, the want to be placated to, they want to be empathized with, they want to be sympathized with. They want to. They want to hear what they're already thinking in a different tone of voice. Right, and so this becomes really important for for man psychology. Right, we need to embrace. We need to embrace our magician, our our inner sorcerer archetype, uh, because if we cannot say no, that's not a woman. That's a dude. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you want to be called and I can call you whatever for the sake of just appeasing your feelings, but let's be honest. Let's be objectively truthful with the world because if we're not objectively truthful, then as men, our warriors cannot take action. We cannot take the appropriate action that needs to happen. If we're not going to recognize and acknowledge what is actual reality, what, what reality is actually telling us, in the world, then we hamstring our own warriors when it comes time for us to take action. And I think that's an important play between these two archetypes. And I think it's important for men to say, you know what, I'm just going to start acknowledging the real world around me. And I'm going to stop pussyfooting around these crazy terms that the universe, that some pinheads at the University of Michigan say are not appropriate. I'm just that's just ridiculousness. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it ridiculous. Let's acknowledge that we're not being, we're not being, um, you know, evil. If we use a term like blacklist and it has nothing to do with race relations at all picnic, I'm going on a freaking picnic for crying out loud. Right, I'm right. not going on a gathering. Yeah. I'm going on a picnic. <laughs> Screw you. Words mean things. And well, yes, and a picnic is I can do a picnic by myself. A sure. gathering implies I must have at least two people <laughs> to gather. I mean, <laughs> right. that's 
That's uh, so idiotic. And, you know, more to your point, not only can the Warriors not do their job if they don't have that, but a king, how is a king supposed to govern the kingdom and provide right. light and, and sustenance for everyone if they can't figure out what the heck they are? How am I supposed to provide for people when they believe that they're all goldfish? Right. I mean, just because you want to call, you want me to call you a goldfish doesn't make you sprout gills and live underwater. Right. And how is the king, as the king archetype, we're, we're going to be unable to provide that moral st stability for those around us or that moral clarity when the time comes if we can't even acknowledge or use certain words, if we have to avoid the hidden knowledge that we possess, the knowledge that we know to be true. If we cannot use that knowledge, then you're hamstringing not only that warrior when it comes time for us to take action, but that king when we have to uphold that mortal certitude. Um, this is not to say that we need to run out and um, and and nobody is saying this. I'm certainly not saying it. I know you're not saying it. It's not, we're not saying, you know, that we have to burn the LGBT group at, you know, at the fire and burn them as witches or anything like that. We have to acknowledge what is truthful, sure, right? And we have to realize that you know, okay, that this is a this is a certain relationship that these two people are in, and so I'm going to treat those people um, as they should be treated. Mm -hmm. But I have to recognize that they're people. If they start, sure. if if somebody says if they want to say, well, don't recognize me as a human. I want to be known as a rabbit or as a horse. And we've talked about some of this on this show where people have these crazy fetishes and they want to be referred to as a, as a kitten and they want to live their life. You're not a kitten. Yeah. You're not a kitten. And I can't treat you like a kitten. You're a human being. And therefore I'm going to treat you like a human being. I don't, you yes. are a crazy person. Let's start acknowledging that if somebody says, well, I want to be treated as a kitten and that's, I'm going to live my truth as a kitten. The response from the warrior, the magician and the King is you're a crazy person. You need help. Yep. And, you know, I, I, I don't hate on anybody for that. If you want to be a kitten, go be a kitten. But do it in your own home. And don't make your issue mine. I don't make my issues yours. I mean, I've got my own. Lord knows I got my own. But I don't make any of my problems your problems. And, if you know, as far as the LGBTQ, ABC, whatever the... the all of you people out there, I, Hey, you want to do your thing, do your thing. That's totally right. cool. I respect you as a human being and as a person, but don't make your choice my burden. That's it. Just do your own. And so, yeah, I, I call it for what it is. I'm sorry. If you're a guy, you're a guy, you're a girl, you're a girl. If you're gay, you're gay. That's fine. But don't try to make me do mental gymnastics to figure out that you're actually not gay you're a man trapped in a woman's body who wants to be straight but we're raised by i don't understand any of that and i'm not going to try right. why would you make me do that i don't right. make you try and figure out anything going on in my life that's absolutely irrational right move on so we need to we need to acknowledge what is actual what is real and we need to treat people according to reality um, and we can make certain accommodations for people. Nobody, again, we're not saying you should not make certain accommodations. If, 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 if somebody says, you know what, I would really appreciate it if you call me, you know, I'm, yes, technically I'm a female, but I would really prefer if you call me a boy, if you refer to me as he. I can make that accommodation. 
but let's also recognize that you're not really, we don't have to, we don't have to establish that verbatim. Nobody is saying that I have to, I have to, before I call you a, before I call you a dude, I'm going to establish the fact that you're a a woman. We have to make, uh, reach an accord there. Nobody is saying that either. But I also have to recognize reality. If something were to happen, if you're go, if if you're a medical doctor, let's say you are a man who's a medical doctor, and a patient walks in and they're and you need to save their life. They're in a traumatic situation. They need to you need to save their life. Then you know what? There are certain there are certain situations. There are certain medical conditions that show up in blacks more so than they do in whites. More so than they than they show up in Asians, for example. Also, women are more um, susceptible to certain types of ailments, sure. as just as men are susceptible for other types of ailments. You cannot just because they say, "Well, I'm a I'm a dude," and you say, "No, you're actually a female." You have to treat the patient as a female because that's biologically what they are. You right. can't just you, say, I'm going to throw out all of my medical training and I'm going to treat you as a dude because you claim to be a dude. No, yeah. I have to treat you as a woman because you're, what your symptoms, what you're presenting with and everything could mean these certain things. Right. So you have well, to trust the magician there. You, you go with the, the, anatom- the anatomy and, and yes, there are certain anatomical things that um, women have that men don't and vice versa. Right. And I'm sorry that this may, uh, hurt your feelings, but I'm going to save your life. Right. I mean, that's, that's truth and that's and reality. That, and that's what I'm saying is we have to be able to treat people according to what's real, because there are situations where if we don't, you could kill them. Mm-hmm. You could yeah. literally kill them, particularly if you're in the medical profession. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's just, re- that's just reality. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing that they talk about here is w- with regard to the magician is they say the magician is the one who often comes online in a crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. Most men, when, when a crisis happens, men immediately jump to problem solutionizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? We, and that's the magician at play. Once we come up with a solution, it's the warrior who now has to take over and take action, but it's the magician that usually kicks into play and we start, we start running with it. And you know, you just touched on this, but I think this is important that perhaps we have not really spelled out and maybe they didn't, but I, I believe they have just based on the way we're talking here. Um, all men have aspects of all four of these. Yes. Okay. And, and we didn't really lay that out but what i'm what i'm understanding what i'm believing from what you're describing all men have aspects of all four of these do i believe that most men kind of live in or embrace one overwhelmingly more than the others probably yes probably um but everybody has aspects of all of these yes yes and they do talk about that and we would get into that um, another thing here they say about the magician, if we are accessing the magician appropriately, we will be adding to our professional and personal lives, a dimension of clear sightedness of deep understanding and reflection about ourselves and others and technical skill in our outer work and in our inner handling of psychological forces. So, well, that's a mouthful. Yeah, that is definitely a mouthful. With, with greater introspection comes greater wisdom and understanding. Yes. Most definitely. So the fourth, <laughs> the fourth archetype here is the lover. <laughs> Please so, go on. 
Let me read what they say here about the lover. It says, for the man accessing the lover, ultimately everything in life is experienced this way. While feeling the pain and the poignancy of the world, he feels great joy as well. He feels joy and delight in all the sensory experiences of life. He may know, for example, the joy of opening a cigar humidor and smelling the exotic aromas of the tobaccos. He may also be sensitive to music. He may feel exquisitely the eerie thrumming of the Indian sitar, the swelling of a great symphony, or the ascetic thunk of an Arab clay drum. So in other words, the, the lover is all of that emotional connection to the world, to the world around you. He, he's the emo guy. Yeah, he's, he's about feeling things, right? Where mm -hmm. the magician is all about thinking and the rationality of things. The lover is about feeling the world around you, right. feeling that piece of artwork that might overwhelm you, overwhelm you, you know, being able to stand on, on a cliffside and watch the, you know, the rising, the, the morning sun and, you know, drink in all of its beauty and appreciate that kind of scenery. Right. And so the lover is not just about, you know, yeah, no, he's not the Casanova necessarily. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, there is it's, part of that, right? There well, is sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is being um, allowing yourself to soak in the emotional implications of everything and everyone around you. You know, when you're talking to people, you actually connect with them on an emotional level. Right. Um, there's a great deal of empathy and compassion um, in the lover archetype. And, and the lover is also where we, where we embrace our artistic side. So they, they talk about how the lover archetype um, does not have a need for socially created boundaries. So he, the lover tends to stand against rules. Um, often the, the life of the lover is unconventional and sometimes very messy, right? Um, and because they, they, the writing here, consequently, because he is opposed to law in the broad sense, we see enacted in his life of confrontation with the conventional, the old tension between sensuality and morality, between love and duty, between, as Joseph Campbell poetically describes it, amor and Roma. Amor standing for passionate experience and Roma standing for duty and responsibility to law and order. So there's this, there's a sort of there's a sort of chaotic play to the lover in all things. Whereas, you know, the king is about order. The lover is really more about embracing that chaos. And you need to do that, right? You, you, need, to, you need to break a few eggs to make an omelet, right? You need to right. be, there needs to be some conflict and some chaos because out of that chaos, new ideas can emerge that can well, further advance your kingdom. Yeah, and we talked, um, we talked before about the, the contrasting difference between openness and conscientiousness. And I think that's a stark contrast between your lover and king archetype, where you've the, the lover is a little bit, well, a lot more um, free-flowing and can maneuver. I, probably somebody you know who isn't, doesn't seem to be swayed by a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff around them. You know, something bad happens, they go, ah course it happened but that's okay i can maneuver around that just just fine you know and where the king archetype is that's that could be the end of the world you know right. something simple going wrong but um yeah it's it's a lot more about living in the moment and so everything can be i don't want to say just over joyous because you and i also talked about being delusionally joyful um in a, one of our previous episodes but i guess Allowing yourself to soak up all of the, not just the joy, but also the sadness the and the movement behind 
um, even common day situations. Yeah. They, they talk about, so you were, you were mentioning how we're all sort of elements of each one of these and we should, and we should be. Um, and, and the writers talk about that as well, that we need to learn how to engage and disengage from these different archetypes or even blend them together based on, based on context. Uh, and so they, they write a few things about doing that, that I highlighted here. They said uh, the King, the warrior and the magician, as we've, as we've suggested, harmonize pretty well with each other. They do so because without the lover, they are all essentially detached from life. They need the lover to energize them, to humanize them, and to give them their ultimate purpose, which is love. They need the lover to keep them from becoming sadistic. So without the lover sort of balancing them all, then the other ones can become very sadistic to each other. You know, your king can become a, a tyrannical ruler, mm -hmm. right? The warrior can, can go off kilter and become a raging lunatic, Right. The magician can just be, he can be judgmental and, and far too analytical where he's paralyzed and, and is incapable of doing anything and, and just judges everybody negatively around him. So you need the lover to, um, to really connect with people around you. Um, they go on here and they say the lover without boundaries and his chaos of feeling and sensuality needs the king to define limits for him, to give him structure, to order his chaos so that it can be channeled creatively. Without limits, the lover energy turns negative and destructive. The lover needs the warrior in order to be able to act decisively, in order to detach with the clean cut of the sword from the web of immobilizing sensuality. The lover needs the warrior to destroy the golden temple, which keeps him fixated. And the lover needs the magician to help him back off from the ensnaring effect of his emotions in order to reflect, to get a more objective perspective on things, to disconnect. Enough, at least, to see the big picture and to experience the reality beneath the seeming. So all of these different archetypes really need each other in balance so that we can become our better selves. Yep. And, you know, I, I think a lot of these are, I guess, situational. Um, something you were talking about in there, too, that there's there's obvious situations in life where we may say, okay, now's the time for my inner warrior to step up. Or maybe maybe the time of action is not now and we need to take a pause and let my magician or sorcerer, if you will, take over and kind of analyze what exactly we've been going, because we've been digging this hole and I just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper in it. You know, without having all of those to be able to utilize, I think as they're alluding to in here, you're you're going to end up, probably in a bad place so recognizing where where some of your strengths and this is part of that introspection we talked about um where some of your natural tendencies may be and trying to get in touch or harness some of those other aspects i think would probably be fruitful for most people even uh, even me especially me yeah and they, they they concluded their book by saying you know this thus patriarchy is really purearchy i.e the rule of boys um, now there might be people that think about well, well, how do you how do you move from boy psychology to man psychology, uh, and and their prescription is pretty simple. They say the key to maturity to moving from boy psychology to man psychology is to become humble, to be grasped by humility. Humility is not humiliation, and that's how they ended the book. Um, so I think that's fantastic. Part of the, one of the things that we did not talk about, maybe we should, we can do this in a, in another episode, maybe next week or something is to talk about the, um, the different characteristics. 
I should say the archetypes of the boy psychology. And I didn't, we didn't talk about that intentionally because I really wanted to kind of focus more on, on, you know, becoming a better man. So we focused on the, the, the four archetypes here uh, to start with, but I think it's interesting to, to, I think it could be interesting to look at those, those boy mentalities. Um, and they talk about different, different ones. Um, like the, I think one of them, they call them the, uh, the high chair tyrant, right? Okay. Like a little boy who sits in the high chair, just, he won't eat his food. He throws everything around. He's constantly throwing tantrums and we can continue to be the, the high chair tyrant, even, uh, even as adults. Right. And, and that's oh, yeah. not a, that's not a pretty look. So they, they talk about these different types of boy archetypes and what men look like when they're embraced, when they're embraced within those boyhood archetypes. And I think that might be kind of interesting to sort of contrast. And one of the things that the authors make note of is that these boy archetypes, they don't actually leave us. So mm -hmm. that's an important thing for men to remember that you always have to be reflecting and thinking about these things so that you don't re revert back. Often what happens, at least what these gentlemen talk about in their practices, is that uh, it's, easy to, it's easy for some men to revert and go back into these boyhood archetypes and to, yep. seek, sort of, to seek solace within those boyhood archetypes. So we have to take these boyhood archetypes and transcend and build on top of them uh, to create these these man archetypes. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting. I, I I don't know anything about any of that yet. Of course, um, you just dropped that on me tonight. But you talk about the boy tyrant versus in man psychology where we look at the king. And I think you know since you brought up Camelot, you're going to compare King Arthur to um, oh who was the Henry in the Tudors. Um, it was right around the birth of Lutheranism. Was it Henry VIII? Oh, Henry VIII. Yeah. Yeah. Very much in that um, high chair tyrant um, yeah. idea. Very selfish, very live in the now, very in the moment. Um, so I understand that. What I really find interesting that the key to all of this transformation that they just kind of drop that little nugget <laughs> right there at the end. Mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. akin to my grandfather or the sorcerer archetype, if you will. Um, the key is actually in humility. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think we could spend a lot of time talking about. Humility is a very, very, um, I would say, divine quality that I think most people don't really understand and don't really understand how to access that yeah. without feigned humility and there's a very big difference between feigned humility and true humility because there's a yeah. there's a difference in sense of ownership um and responsibility and personal intake in genuine humility versus um just throwing your hands up and saying yep yeah. my fault oh well you know well, there, I, there's a big difference well and i think there are ways that to to practice that humility and and one of the ways and i'll just say this very quick very quickly uh, because I know we've been going at this for a while, but one of the things that I experienced was as I embraced minimalism, I felt a profound sense of humility by doing so because you really, it's, it's like a, it's a physical way. And I'm not saying everybody embrace minimalism right now, right? I'm not, there are, there are some other ways that you can, you can embrace that humility or practice it. Minimalism being one of them. Um, 
but if people have been thinking about minimalism, there is a, there is a sense of, of embracing that, uh, embracing humility, becoming humble, appreciating what little you do have, making very conscious decisions and casting things off and saying, no, I don't need this. Or, and also in recognizing that I don't need the stuff that other people have. I don't need to keep up with the Joneses and I can still be happy for you when you have things that I don't want. Or, you know, if you have a bigger television than me, that's okay. Yeah. And I can, I, and I'm, I'm happy with what I have and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need that. That's great for you, but it's not, oh, it, but it's not going to be great for me. And, you know, and, and so it helps build, it's sort of like minimalism becomes sort of this constant practice of, of humility, which I, which mm-hmm. I really like. I found empowering for me. Um, others may or may not. Um, but those are some other things that we can talk about too, as we talk about yeah. humility. Yeah. I, I remember somebody told me once humility is the is the shears mm-hmm. that the practitioner trims the bonsai tree with it's oh, that like humility that. Like of that. of snipping off what is unnecessary yeah Sim- so. simplicity yeah mm-hmm. i love it all right well good good uh, good talk that was a good talk i like that yeah so, so yeah dr so- ramirez the sorcerer <laughs> 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 absolutely and remember you can get all of our stuff uh off of our website at fusionunderground.net, our youtube channel uh, just go out there search for fusion underground you'll find us on facebook at az fusion or facebook.com forward slash az fusion underground we're right there you can like the page uh, we post all of our stuff out on facebook as well but you can get all of our stuff linked directly onto our website in fact all of the posts that i do on facebook are just links directly from our website. So everything is there. Um, and of course you can find all of our audio podcasts, wherever you find, whenever, wherever you find podcasts, essentially we're on Stitcher and Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, the Apple store, iStore, all that kind of stuff. Um, anchor breaker, blah, 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 Stitcher, uh, everything. So, um, <laughs> just, you can go out to our website. You can find links to all of our, to where all of this, where all of our shows are, are kept. You can find it out there. You can send us an email at contact at fusionunderground.net. And uh, we're on Twitter. We're back on Twitter. We're back on Twitter. So the at the FU brothers. So we yep. come up. Um, so we're right there. Uh, you can find all of our good stuff. So for Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. And like always, you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Have a good night.